Hey, I'm Pop Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. Kathleen Kimmy here this episode, and she is best known for playing G Young on Sesame Street, among many other roles in the puppetry world. We talk with her about puppetry, life in general, diversity and inclusion. It's just a wonderful chat. Let's get into this one. I made a new friend today. Enjoy. So. For those that don't know you, could you kind of introduce yourself and kind of give a little bit of an elevator pitch of (laughs) who you are and what you've done? Okay. My name is Kathleen Kim. Uh, I am a producer turned puppeteer and performer. Um, I'm probably most notably known um, for playing Jiyoung, the first Asian American Muppet character on Sesame Street, who debuted in 2021. Um, I also get to play Elena, who is uh, the mom of Julia, our puppet uh, character with autism at Sesame Street as well. Um, and I'm, I feel like I'm still new to the game. I've done a, a few really fun stuff to put on my resume, but uh, I feel um, very lucky to have found this career shift at this point in my life because I, I definitely didn't set out on my um, career uh, looking to get into puppeteering or acting or anything like that. Let's talk about that trajectory. <laughs> how did you get not only to Sesame Street, but how did you get in the whole entertainment world? Ooh, so puppets and Muppets and Jim Henson, that that's all stuff that I, as an 80s kid, grew up loving. And mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that's what sort of got me into the hope of getting into children's television. That's what I always wanted to do. And I always loved puppets. I dabbled in them. I did them for like school projects or the church show or something like that. But I truly never, uh, you know, thought of pursuing it as a career. I never thought of being in front of the camera in any way, especially growing up in the 80s. I, you know, I didn't see a lot of kids who looked like me on television. So it just didn't like my parents wouldn't even let me go out for um, theater or drama club because <laughs> they're like, that's a waste of time, you know. And so um, I but I loved Sesame Street. I love the idea of not talking down to kids, but creating a world where they felt seen and heard and safe and, and a place that's still silly and fun. And so I studied um, communications and then TV film, children's and then children's studies and I uh, went into production. And so I started off at um, Nickelodeon as like a production assistant. And then um, 
there was a huge layoff in like two, 2009 because there was like um there was a big recession everybody just lost their jobs and i needed to pivot really quickly to find work and there was a lot of jobs in reality tv and so that's where i ended up and so i was working in reality tv for a while and in um like around when i was like 30 my husband and i we took uh, an improv class for fun that taught puppetry for comedy improv <laughs> just so random uh but he he used to take a lot of comedy improv and he's like oh you like puppets like we can do this together oh what class was it uh his name is david fino oh i love him yeah he's he's wonderful he runs brooklyn uh puppet conspiracy is, is his company and he's an incredible builder puppeteer voice actor and so he was teaching this class um and his honest like reason for starting the class was like, I want to do puppet improv, but there's no one to do it with me. Maybe if I teach people, then yeah. they'll have someone to do it with, you know? And I think from taking that class and it was just like a fun thing. And he, I think he liked me, saw something in me. And so he would take me on gigs every once in a while. And um, I did a couple little things and I thought, wow, this is like so cool that I get to live my childhood dream Every once in a while on a weekend for like a project that David was doing, but I really didn't think any more of it than that. Um, because who gets to do it for a living? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. like 10, like 10 guys who are mostly white, <laughs> they get to do it, but no one else really does in my mind, you know? And so then in 2013, at the end of 2013, uh, Sesame Workshop was offering one of those like once every blue moon puppetry workshops. And everyone from that David Fino class, they were like, we're going to submit a tape in. You should do the same. And in my mind, I thought, no, I'm not going to do it because if I don't get in, I will be so heartbroken and there's no way that any of us are getting in. So I'm not even going to try. And the night before the deadline, like the night of the deadline, I'm like, I'm going to regret not doing it if I don't do it. <laughs> like one of those guys gets in. I will be like, ah, I should have sent in a tape. And so with like a dying battery on my one LED light that I had, my one David Fino practice puppet, I did a bunch of characters and sang a song and I got in. Um, and that was like the big start to this. But so it, that, was, that was run by, uh, that was Matt Vogel, right? Yeah, that's right. It was Matt like Vogel, that. Marty P. Robinson, Love and Peter Lintz. Oh my God, they're the best. And I remember being at the workshop feeling like, okay, I don't clearly don't belong here. Everybody here has done professional stuff before. Um, I just felt very out of my element. But uh, I remember after our first, like we all met in a conference room and then they split us up into three groups. Um, and I was in Peter Lentz's group to start, but I passed Marty P. Robinson in the hallway. And, you know, I don't know who these people are. He's like, Kathy Kim. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, my daughters, they watched your tape like 20 times. They loved it. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, I love Marty so much. <laughs> Marty is, uh, he's a, there's literally, and I can say this with full confidence, there is no one in the entire planet that has ever or will ever exist that is like Marty Robinson. He's the he most unique is, person. He is literally the world's biggest fan. Like, he loves everybody like he but when he does it he's honest with you and he is the most creative 
Jeannie Perkin. Hi, Marty, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> Hi, Marty, we love you. You nailed it. You nailed it. He is your greatest supporter and your greatest fan, but he is blunt and honest. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like he doesn't live on, he lives on his own planet sometimes. Like, like one of my favorite stories about Marty, we were um, uh, on Helpsters. And I don't know if you're familiar with the show at all, Bob. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So every single episode, there's a new customer. And, uh, you know, when they come into the to the shop, Hart says, have a seat. And then Scatter says, and this. And it's always a random object, like a, a left shoe, a photo of you from 10 minutes ago or whatever. And one time he says, have a seat and an everything bagel. And then, you know, we're doing the takes and Marty's like... <laughs> What even would that be? Like a, a bagel with like a tuna fish and sprinkles on it or something? And we're like, what? He's like, like an everything bagel. Like you put everything on the bagel. I'm like, we're like, Marty, that's a real thing. And he's like, no, it's not. Since when? And we're like, since forever. You live in New York. <laughs> and, and so it's like, on one hand, the man created a world like many worlds like between like audrey 2 and like beloved characters on sesame Snuffy. street yeah Snuffy. he all hollows eve was like this world that all existed in his brain he's a genius but like what's in everything bagel we're like what like is that, that kind of stuff would happen all the time and we're just like marty is just his own creature and he's beautiful i'm calling him after they can <laughs> he probably won't remember because there's so many oh, times I remember. Yeah. no he's he's amazing so so that first workshop um i felt both like whoa okay i i'm learning a lot but wow i am now seeing how much more i need to learn if i ever want to do this but i i really was like well now back to my regular life working in reality tv and you know that was nice that i got to touch him up at what a dream i'll remember this forever um, but then the next year they called us in, like maybe half of the people who were accepted into that workshop, uh, were asked to do a day or two or three. Um, and every year they kind of called, you know, like sort of less and less of us in until 2017, they announced or not, they didn't announce it, but they, they started the first mentorship program within the puppetry, you know, uh, group or whatever between the puppetry like department like at sesame street and four of us were chosen to be grown into possibly the next generation of of muppet performers and then it kind of started from there but even then i was just like i'm not a puppeteer uh i'm an imposter you know um, yeah. but over yeah. the years like you know the last few years i've gotten to do some cool stuff and it's like slowly slowly chipping away at that giant imposter syndrome um, maybe one day I'll feel like, yeah, I got this, but, <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about G Young in a second, but I wanted to mention one of my dearest friends who you know very well, Spencer mm. Lott. Oh, yes. And Spencer, another supporter of what we do and what, Amazing. and, uh, Talk about a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That's a beast of a project. And tell me a bit about that. Well, okay. So Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood was the Mr. Rogers. Um, I mean, it was a story, but with like Mr. Rogers in it. I don't, with it wasn't, Mr. It was, Rogers in it. Yeah. That's yeah. right. It wasn't like a like a you know, biopic on him. And Although our, there should be. 
but you know there there have been some beautiful documentaries about about his life that i i wonder if anybody would uh, be able to do him justice in like a, a scripted form. i saw that i saw that first one in in theaters the it could be the thing in the area just something like that and it, we were all weeping by the end of it sobbing like when they were talking about like what wishing mr rogers was alive for 9 11 and everybody taking time to think about the people who love them and to be i'm just like like and everyone in the theater was like about my age and so we all grew up with him and you just you just you're like open sobbing even, even me yeah. even, i'm 28 like like every like mr roger was still on when i was growing up so like we all have this shared thing of him yeah and, i yeah i'm sorry go ahead and to think that he was so nervous to do stuff after 9-11. Like, he wanted to stop. And then they were like, you have to do this yeah. for everybody. And then, yeah. like, so that film that you were a part of was so, oh. ne- so necessary. It's so necessary. And it's so great. Tell me a oh, bit about Oh, man. That. I, I, well, I have to admit that I was only on for, like, a day. Spencer, our very good friend Spencer Lott, he built and, you know, recreated the puppets and taught Tom Hanks how to puppeteer because he's such a superstar. Um, I got to be on for one day. Uh, and I, I hate to say that that scene was not only deleted, but not included on the deleted scenes <laughs> anywhere. But it was like this nightmare um, dream sequence. And so um, the guy who played the reporter is on a bed and Tom Hanks and as Mr. Rogers and Chris Cooper as Mr. McFeely and like the whole cast of characters, they kind of come uh, approaching the bed. And then uh, uh, what's his name? Is it Michael Reese? Matthew Reese. Matthew Reese. Matthew Reese kind of like, "Ah," and then like he wakes up in real life. And so I was there for the dream sequence where all the puppets. I love you and I'm sure you were grateful. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. That wouldn't have worked in the movie. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But yeah, the puppets all kind of pop up like around his hospital bed in this dream sequence. And it's just, like pitch black around. And so I got to do X the Owl. And we all sort of like were in these. Oh, weird that's fun. Until but, like yeah. two in the morning. And so, yeah, it was uh, it was it was cool. I mean, I got paid. I got to meet Tom Hanks, so I'm, like, super happy that I got to be a part of it. Because Mr. Rogers is, like, I mean, he's one of my my heroes. Oh, I, absolutely. When I was still working at Nickelodeon, a friend of mine, um, we were talking about Mr. Rogers, and he introduced me to his friend, uh, Benjamin Wagner, who was a producer at MTV, and he made a documentary called Mr. Rogers and Me. Oh, yes. Yes. Have you seen it? I love them. Yes. I love it too. I, so I got to kind of volunteer slash I worked a couple of days just like transcribing and doing research and making phone calls for him. Cause I'm like, you're doing this on your own dollar. I believe in what you're doing. I would can love I, to can talk I help to him. you? Yeah. I would love to talk to him. I bet he would love to talk to you. He's, he's so kind. And so he, his life really was changed through that one meeting with Mr. Rogers. And for me learning so much about his life and watching that movie and ta- like hearing from people who knew him, it really changed me. I was just like, because now you understand it's not just about being gentle and and quiet and slow. It's also about being present 
and just giving of your honest present self like that is the greatest exercise that we can try to keep And doing listening, to be more like listening is so listening important. yes And something, here's the thing. When people see me, they see me in a wheelchair, they, they realize that it might take me a while to get a couple work out. But what's important is giving people the space. But disability or not, we don't do that enough for people. Everybody go, 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 go. Like, why... Just give people the space to communicate. And that is something that he did so well. Mm. Yeah, it's tough to, we're all stuck in our own bubbles, right? And we are all kind of like in our own brains. And it's the scariest thing to just like crack open that bubble. And like, you know what I mean? Sort of exchange your true selves with other people. Uh-huh. So you want to have everything framed. You want to have it like an answer ready. You want to have like a formed version of how you want to be seen that it's easy to forget to just shut your own brain off and like listen and, and and be there for the person that's like right in front of you instead of you know That's how I explain the conversation to you. This is not an interview. This is a conversation that just so happens to be recorded. That's how I frame it. Because when people hear the word interview, I don't know about you, but like they put on this weird, I don't know, like this weird voice and this, this certain way of acting. Like, no, just talk. Just talk. It's the hardest thing to do. I mean, for me, and I'm a, I'm sorry if I sound like a soundbite machine because with the Cheung stuff, like it, I suddenly, I was asked a lot of questions and, you know, and it's just like, you get so tired talking about yourself after a while that you're just like, well, this is, these are the points. These are the talking points, you Yeah, know? that's why I try to I try to throw things at people that they wouldn't otherwise get. Hmm. That's So great though. yeah. So let's go to G Young while we're while we're here. Yeah. And I bet you've never been active, so let's try this. Oh, let's see. If little you saw G Young on the screen, how do you think <sighs> Little You would have reacted to that character. I don't think little me would have been ready for it. I It's twofold. On one side, the hope is that, you know, feeling seen by my favorite TV show would make me feel more empowered to be myself, to embrace my culture, to not feel like an other in the only country that I've ever lived in, you know, um, that That would have all been true. But a part of me wonders if I would have been ready for it. Like there wasn't enough representation, you know, up until, you know, the last like 10, 15 years even. Um, and I remember in the 90s, like the few uh, bits of representation were picked apart and put under the microscope. Like Margaret Cho, who's a comedian, she had that sitcom Yeah. All-American Girl. And we ran that thing through the sieve because we were like, it's the only thing we have and it's the only thing they'll ever give us and it's not good. If it's not good, How do you then... feel about like puzzle plays and all that? Because that's Oh, true. yeah. You know, honestly, at the time, I 
at the time I thought Puzzle Place and I, I still think it's a very good show. I, and like I, I've met and and not worked with Alice Denny, but I went to a workshop of hers and she's wonderful and she's an incredibly talented performer. And so like I don't like it was what it was at the time and it was great, you know, and now it's just we're we're just it's all about progress, growing pains and pushing, you know. Um, I think there's like a huge movement now, like between Muppets and Henson and Sesame Street to because it was this thing of like, well, we're looking. Uh, so any black female puppeteers, anybody? No. OK, well, we tried. And it's not about that. It's like because like it's felt like such a insular little clubhouse. Um, it's not just about being like uh, any any black female, any Asian puppeteers. No, it's about like actively looking and training and growing people up. And, and really so that, digging deep to get there. Yeah. And then hopefully, you know, like Jamika Collins, who um, uh, was on Helpsters with us and she uh, uh, joined Sesame Street um, season 53. Um, she when she was coming up, she started as an actress and then, um, you know, found puppetry through working at the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta. And she has this great story about how she played this like little bunny like a boy bunny character. And then when they came out um, to take their bows, uh, this little black girl in the front said, mama, she's brown just like me. you know. And like, oh. maybe that little girl sees someone like Jamaica or all these girls seeing Megan Pythas, who's like all over the news right now, are thinking like, wait a second, I like to do this. Is this something I can do? Because I never in a million years would have been like, ah, that's something for me. It's like, you know, and so Puzzle Place at the time, they were doing great stuff. The fact that there was uh, an Asian character and she didn't have an accent and she didn't talk about her being Asian all the time. Like she was her own character. I thought it was great, you know. Um, now would she be played by a white person? Probably not. But at the time, like I have no ill will towards like Puzzle Place and stuff. We're, we're all learning and growing. <laughs> I love it. I think it we great at the time and it's still is and i wish it was so. available still where people could see it is it not I mean, like available on youtube or something it's on youtube but i wish all of it was around yeah it's it was a good show i remember there was like one episode where um they were splitting up jobs and uh i forgot which character it was it might have been julie was like, well, I'm going to take the cooking duties. And like one of the other girls said, no, don't do that. Like, it doesn't have to be girls do all the cooking. And then one of the boys was like, I want to do the cooking too. And they're like, oh, okay. And they split everything up and they realized that like, it's okay. Like gender is just, an, you know, it's just uh, like forget, a concept. Forget yeah. gender roles. Yeah. Forget like... gender roles. It's like, you don't have to like push against gender stereotypes or fall into gender stereotypes you can just be yourself and i just thought that was so progressive at the time yeah so i think what what excited me about talking to you today was that we both have our different areas of representation for you like being an asian american for me living with a disability and sharing my gift with the world and you're sharing a gift too, but in a different aspect. Um, so do you have any do you have any questions for me about what I do, uh, or my career? Because I want to turn the tables. I want to 
Like talk. Okay. Um, I I want to know more about your disability. Like, when did it? Like, when was it apparent? And how does it? How is it? Like, you know, what is it that you deal with? I have cerebral palsy. I was diagnosed at the age of two. I was, uh, I was born with spastic quadriplegia, cerebral palsy, which means all four limbs are affected because there are varying degrees of it. Some people are nonverbal, some people can walk. I can't walk. But because, you know, I couldn't play outside and I couldn't do all these things, my kind of escape was the world of pop culture. I'd be watching TV and movies and listening to music and really absorbing things that were way too old for me. Like, it was like the late 90s, and while I was watching Nickelodeon, all the all the kids programming, I'd be watching TRL the next minute. So I would... I would I was a sponge. I basically got into everything that shaped this podcast and what I do now. And people ask me all the time, do you wish you could walk? Mm. And I always say no. Mm. Because I wouldn't be this way otherwise. I don't Mm. think I would have had all this time to absorb all this stuff and get into what I get into at this deep of level to be able to have these conversations. What 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 are the types of culture that you most were interested in? I I just really I from a very young age I really got into like just like different type types of like comedy was a big thing for me. Mm. I was very much into, like, watching sitcoms and really loving, like, stuff that was kind of edgier. And while I was watching Sesame Street, I I would be sitting there watching music videos on MTV Mm. and consuming it like a teenager would. So when people find out that I know some of the stuff that that I know so well, it's like, no, you just found it through the internet. It's like, no, I I lived it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah. Is there like a genre of, I mean, okay, so is it movies and TV and music? But it, I mean, is it comics? Is it books? Is it like, what, like, what does, like, what forms of media are you, are you taking in? Is it mostly like watching stuff? It's watching stuff. It's listening to stuff. But, you know, I was a big book reader. I used to. I remember going to Borders Books and buying the last Harry Potter book when it came out. So it was like, that was such I just consumed everything. And talk about representation, I never saw myself on TV. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, are there? Like, I bet if there was, you can you can pinpoint, like... There was a show... And it's a little bit kind of, it's very forgotten because when I tell you who created it, you'll realize why. Little Bill, created by Bill Cosby. There we get show on Nick Jr. Yes, I remember Little Bill. Yeah, Little Airplanes Productions. 
the first episode had a character with cerebral palsy on it. And they explicitly said cerebral palsy on it. I said to my mom, is that what I have? I didn't know. Like, I was so little that I, I thought everybody... Because another part of my background is that for for the first years of my schooling, I went to a school just for kids with disabilities. So that's literally all I knew. I thought everybody was... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I thought everybody went through what I went through. Mm. So when I saw this on TV, it's like, is that me? Is that what I have? <laughs> and then, you know, I eventually I go into public school a couple years later, and then it's a big culture shock. Wow. Because you're with all these different types of people now differently able people was it yeah. were people kind to you yeah they were kind i never got i never got bullied oh that's great a lot that's of great. sort of verbal stuff but it's like i mean it still hurts just as well but like mm. of course i got disappointed at times or made fun of but it wasn't so, like some of the stories that i hear where it's like kind of like really getting through it day to day and yeah there are some difficult days but everybody has them it's just how we deal with them hmm. that's rough yeah you, you know you bring up a good point about not there not being enough uh representation of people with disabilities like i remember on helpsters there was a an actor uh with down syndrome and when he found out that a bunch of Sesame Street, you know, a lot of the puppeteers were also Sesame Street puppeteers, his mom, who was there with him, was like, you know, they say that kids with Down syndrome don't recognize other kids with Down syndrome or they don't, you know, realize that they're different. But there was a, a regular kid on on Sesame Street who had Down syndrome. Like, I, I think he had, like, a role. I don't know if he was, like, a, a main character, but, like, he was there often. I forget what his name was. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. But this actor, when he was, like, a little baby, he's, like, three or four years old, like, waddled right up to the TV and, like, just knew. And there was just something different about the way that he recognized, you know, acknowledged this kid who he clearly saw a, like, you know, a, a kinship to. Um, and that's, like... Huge. And we see that with like Asian kids too, with Chiang, like um, so many stories have come out with like uh, one of my friends who runs Angry Asian Man, um, which is like this blog. He's like a writer, Phil Yu. His five-year-old at the time, um, she when she first saw Chiang and she said like kind of to his head or she's, you know, talked about her grandma. She kind of just like went like, like just pointed to herself like involuntarily, you know, and like um and then there's all these other stories girls like who are who have the same name or they just light up when they're like see a glimmer of recognition in the kid which is like a twofold it's like great but it's it's also like you know we've come so far with asian american representation that for a three four five year old to still see how extraordinary or special that is 
makes me a little bit sad, you know. Yeah, too. It, should be, it should just be normal. It should just be normal, and the fact well, that then like again, then again, what is normal? You know? What is what is normal? But uh, the, all this to say, like, I feel like in the last, especially few years, like Asian American representation has like gone, you know, in media. But there's I, still not a lot of people with disabilities on kids' TV. That, yeah, and you I, know, that I can that's think why. Of. That's why. But I also feel like. It has to be done right. Like, it can't be just put in there because it has to be put in there. If it... Because for a while, I never... Whenever I would see a TV show or even a sitcom, it would always be like, let's feel bad for this kid. (laughs) Yep, yep. And let's just, you know, have him be the butt of the joke. But there are some things where... Where it just works, and Sesame does it so well. Like, yeah. They put a lot of care into, and you're so right. It's always like the kid who's disabled. It's like you feel bad for them, but they almost always have the spirit of like, but don't feel bad for me. Look how inspirational I am. And you're like, aw. And and it's like something that I always say. Like when people say, that I'm inspiring. I oh, kinda get I hate a that. kinda get a weird vibe because you're like, are you am I inspiring because I've done all this work or because I got up out of bed in the morning like it's like <laughs> You're amazing. I I can relate because I I'm a breast cancer survivor. Um and uh that year and a half or two years where I was you know, I was in a bad place. Uh and people would say, you're so brave. You're so inspirational. I'm like, what else am I supposed to do? Like, the doctors say I have to have chemo and surgeries. Like, what am I going to do? Just, like, sit in the, like, lock myself in the closet and just close the door and go, right. I'm not coming out, you know? <laughs> like, you know, and so I obviously can't fully relate, but, like, I, I can understand it a little bit. It's just like, okay, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> like, and I understand, like, most people might most people in my predicament would not even do something like this, so I understand. But... It's tough to put... It's tough for anybody to put themselves out there, you know, let alone... You know, I don't... I don't know any other people with cerebral palsy, like, hosting podcasts that have been going on for 13 years. That's pretty... I mean, for anybody to do a podcast, Yeah, when I started... When I started doing this, I was 15. Oh, wow. Wait, so what, who was your first interview and like what, you know, drove you to to start? Well, I had been doing live radio for a year. The, so like at I, school? No, I did it. <clears throat> no, I did it. Like uh, after school, I would just, I taught myself how to create a radio show. What? And, That's crazy. And I, you know. But then I kept getting fired from all these different radio stations because I guess I was too young or like I, I, I said something. I because when you're young, you get too excited and you you say things that are not meant for public consumption. Like, like, oh boy. <laughs> like I, like I, like I referenced a fast food restaurant when I when I wasn't supposed to. I wouldn't and, have known uh, that on a radio they, show. They were like, 
oh, you can't advertise this because you didn't get their permission. So they, so they said to me, you know, why don't you do your own show? Why, why don't you start, you know, your own show? So I sat around with that idea. And then in July of 2010, it was three in the morning. I remember where I was. And I just came up with this idea for this name. The DJ Bob Show. That's all it was. There wasn't a website. I didn't even know if it's live, a podcast, whatever. Just had the name. So it turned into a four-hour, five-days-a-week live radio show. Oh, wow. Where I was taking phone calls and playing music and sort of being like a radio DJ. And then... That got physically taxing for me. Mm. So my friend said to me, you need to do a podcast. Like, like on your own timetable, you can do it whenever you want. You don't have to worry about getting it in on time, whatever. So just do it. So, and what you need to know is those early interviews... <laughs> were not children centric. I was interviewing <laughs> I was interviewing punk rock bands. Oh, I was cool. I was very but that shows you like my different I like people see me as this kids show aficionado, which I am, but like there's this whole other side of me that I express it now, but like when people first find out they're like Oh <laughs> so so then I got bored one day and I was really thinking about my childhood and what I remember. And I was on YouTube and I looked up Bear in the Big Blue House and I said, I wonder who did that. So then I emailed Noel, not knowing who he was or if he was going to respond. And he was my first Guess no, that, really? That sort of turned in. I mean, I had interviewed people before, but he was my first guest within this space. Oh. So I owe a lot to him because wow. he was the one who said to me, you need to turn your podcast into this. And ever since then, it's been one of the best decisions that we ever made. Wow, that's so amazing that Noel is your first guest, too. He's, he's, we love Noel. He's been directing more at Sesame Street. Yeah, I'm so proud of him. I, I can't, I can't even, he's one of our favorite directors at this point. He's so talented. Him and my buddy, my buddy Rick Fernandez. I love Rick Fernandez. We, he, he, I, I met him for the first time on Helpsters. They had like what, but when he came on, all the people who had been, you know, Stephanie and Marty and all those guys and Jen, they're like, Rick. And I'm like, who's this guy? Cause I, I was kind of new and he's wonderful. And then I found out that he was going through cancer treatment the same year that I yep. was. So we really bonded over yeah, he how and grateful I, he and I we all are. Really tight. Yeah. He's he and I are really great. tight. Yeah. I just listened to his um his uh 
So I don't know if I'll get fired from this for plugging someone else's show, but Jake's Happy Nostalgia. Oh, I work for them. Do you really? I book some of their people, yeah. Amazing. They they just reached out to me. I think I'm going to be doing something with that. Oh, I got to write them back. But um, they- I'll let them know that you'll write them back. I'll talk I... to them No, 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 no. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to do one. But then they wrote me with like dates. And I, I think I wrote them back with dates. I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll check back in with them. Um, but it's funny because like, and I love Bob. I love that you have this like format of just having a conversation because it's great. Like Jake's Happy Nostalgia show is definitely a different format. It it feels a lot more like here honest are the ten to, interview uh, questions that we do. Honest to, honestly, because a lot of them used to work used to work with me. Oh, a lot of them guys. So they they learn how they they took something and, and that they made their what, own thing. That's how what we used to do. And then I realized like oh. I can go beyond that and sort of like switch it up. And nah. sort of And you can. Not not everybody's able to do that, but you're very smart. You're very well spoken and thoughtful. So I, I think I think this is great for you. Um Yeah. But but for, with the Jakes, you know, they have like the floor, you know, they have a couple questions. And then so what's interesting about this format is it's not a conversation like what you have, but it does allow this space where the interviewee just talks and just from it's not steered in any way. It's not it, they just talk. And so yeah, for better or they... worse. But Rick, it was like this really great opportunity to just hear his whole story and his trajectory, so which is incredible. Like, I didn't Actually, know he worked on he's coming, Rainbow. He's, co- he's coming on the show in a few weeks, and uh, we're going to interview each other. Oh, I love that. Where we swap oh, questions. Amazing. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you in regards to, you know, representation and this is a completely different network, a completely different character group. But one of my good friends and one of my big supporters is Josh De La Cruz from Blue's Clues. His view on representation is so important. And I, uh, have you ever met him? I got to meet him very briefly at the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade last November. Um, we got a picture with like Alan uh, Maroka and him and I were like Asian representation at Kids TV. But he's, um, I, you know, it's it's a very rare talent to Love be able him so to. Much. He's wonderful. Like he, it's that rare Mister Rogers. It's that rare Levar Burton. It's the Alan Maroka. It's the Steve burns of like being able to look into camera and really connect with a young audience like they're a real person in their lives like and josh has that and the thing is like and i've met i've worked with steve burns i did a puppet thing with him i would bucket list guest there's a bucket list (laughs) because i just want to have a conversation with him not like a kind of like what we're having right now like he would love oh my god he's 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 pretty incredible he's he's different from how i would have pictured him uh because he's such a cool dude actually <laughs> and yeah. like on blues clues he, he was so you know cute kind of dorky he's very special i think he's very special within the landscape of kids tv and when they've you know when they were revamping i was like eh, 
I don't know. It's going to be hard to find a replacement. And Josh is magical. Honestly, wonderful. when I, and I'm very open about this, this story, when the new series came out, I was so adamant about getting press for it. Blue Creek was such a big part of my childhood, and I wanted to talk about it on a deeper length. But they got me an interview with the co-creator, Angel Chantamero, who's absolutely mm. wonderful. But they wouldn't get me Josh at the time. Mm. And I was kind of bummed out about it. Aww. And then I became friends with the composer of the theme song. Oh, wow. And I, and, you know, he wrote for Avril Lavigne and, like, all these pop people before he moved on to oh. Kids TV. I didn't know And that. he said, I want to book somebody for you. Who do you want? And I said, well, you think Josh would do it? And he goes, yo, I'll text him right now. <laughs> so then he, so then, like, he, he heard the story, and he basically got his team involved because it meant so much for Josh to do it, Aww. and we became, like, really good friends that day, and then I got to do publicity for the movie that Amazing. came out. <laughs> got to so interview, cool. got to interview B.D. Wong for that, which was beyond. Oh my god, I got to work with B.D. Wong um, uh, on uh, Aquafina show. He's a legend. Yeah, so, like, it's so funny that, like, even though, you know, people see me as this, this kid show guy, it's like, I'm just a pop culture encyclopedia. Like, that's, that's, all, that's, all, that's all there is to it. Who yeah. who are your, like, top five dream interview? Well, Steve. Um, um, and then I want to talk to this guy. Um, <laughs> I want to talk to Steven Shabosky. Have you ever heard of the book, the, uh, the Perks of Being a Wallflower? No. Yes, yes, I have heard of it, but I, I haven't read it. And it, it basically got me out of a really dark place. I was really struggling. Mm-hmm. And I read that book, and it, you know, changed my life. Oh. And I think, above all else, I just want to tell him thank you oh. for being the reason why I'm still here. and that's my thing I just want to have these insightful impactful conversations with people that they wouldn't otherwise have Mm. that's incredible and I never used to talk about my disability on this podcast I never used to oh you should I never used to talk about it. And then once I started talking about it, it got people, people started asking me more questions. And it created a dialogue between me and the guest because it takes, I like I, I used to hide my disability all the time on this podcast. Hmm. And then once I started talking about it, it humanized it a little more. Mm. And it gave me the space to create a conversation like we're having right now. 
Yeah. I mean, to your point, it's, you know, when you say that, like, you wouldn't have traded your experience because it made you who you are, it's who you are, you know, and there's, I feel like, you know, when we were kids, it, you know, you just like, it's almost polite to not ask or to not notice. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're dealing with it any less if I'm not talking about it. You you know what I mean? Like, and it's the same with the, you know, like, like when I was sick and people are like, oh, but you're fine now. Like even now, like I, I'm, you know, still dealing with sort of like the physical and emotional ramifications of like everything that I've been through. But everyone's just kind of quick to be like, but you're okay, right? And you're like, yeah, because <laughs> it's just easier sometimes. But or they think like if we don't talk about it, then you we won't bring it up uh, so that, you you know, you don't get sad about it or that like you don't have to think about it. And it's just like if it's your life, you know, it's your life. It's who you are. It's not, you know, like there's no reason to ignore, I don't know, a big part of who you are. Uh, so I think it's great. I think it's great that you're more open about it. Yeah. What's your common misconception about what you do? Do you want to know the number one question that puppeteers get asked? TV puppeteers? You know what? So do you also do the voice? Oh. That is the number one question. And I'm like, oh my. Huh? That's such a weird question. I don't know. And like, it's like, uh, I'm not sure where it comes from. Maybe because they think like, oh, you know, not like the the people who are animating the cartoon are not the same person as the... It's like a different skill set, I guess. Um, maybe they just can't believe a person could be so talented as to do both things at once. But it's just like, it's such an odd question to me. I'm like, why is that even a question? Yeah, I remember having to um, explain to my my girlfriend's family how Barney worked. The family? What, to, what, was, what were they confused about? They were just like, wait, so there's two people? I'm like, yeah, like one person is in the body and another person takes the voice. The two yeah. people? They thought there were two people in the costume? No, I mean, there are two people Oh, performing. oh, oh, that it takes, like, more than one person. I had to explain that. And they're like, oh, yeah, because there's, yeah. like, three different guys who take turns being in that terrible suit. <laughs> they're like, really? Um, yeah, because until I came into their world. They weren't really in the whole children's television world, and now they're learning because of me. But I'm like, yeah, the show works, and um, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, it is a magic trick, like, and that that's, I think, what... It's funny because, like, uh, I feel like there's, like, overlap uh, between magicians and puppeteers. I don't know why. Like, I feel like I know a bunch of puppeteer... <sighs> usually men who are like into like it was like almost like a gateway yeah, like, they, like taught like themselves Tim, magic tricks like Tim, Tim. Legass. yeah like Tim yeah Tim, Tim Legass. I think Johnny K was also into magic uh, my good friend David Bizarro was also into magic I feel like there's like a, a an overlap because puppetry like tv puppetry and I guess you know um live puppetry it it is a bit of a it's an illusion right it's like a magic trick um and so I think there is a little bit of, I mean, the fact that like all the action with like us is, you know, completely hidden, it makes sense that people don't know how it works because if they could figure it out, we're not doing their our job well, I guess. So, but yeah. So what's your puppet project from when you were a kid 
that you wish people talked about more? Oh, man. Oh, 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 like now? Talked about it now? Like, do, do you, yeah. Like, I think the ones that I, I mean, I could, I, I can, I think all the things that I liked were definitely, well, actually, all right, sorry. This is like how my brain works. <laughs> I like think of five different things before yeah, I pick yeah, a thing yeah. to talk about. You're here. It's fine. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, two different ways to answer that question. Uh, Nanoland, I think, is amazing. Oh, uh, yes! Yes! I wish, I wish more people watched it and knew about it because that is the kind of show that I would want to work on. I freaking love tiny, cute, weird and it's like, and I love the Nanoland part, but the to me, the little TV shows with like the weird creatures. Right. Yes. That I want to, I want that. I want to work on that. Um, so that's that's my like I would or Mr. Meaty, like all Jamie Shannon stuff. Like oh, Mr. Okay. Meaty. I worked at Nickelodeon when Mr. Meaty was a show. I got to touch the and this is before I did puppets, but it's like they were the there's a little duffel bag with like the two main characters um and they were in the office for like a promo and me and my friend were like don't tell anybody so what was your favorite show on nick when you were on nick when you were working there oh when i was working on it um you were working at nick yeah i'm gonna say well i did have a soft spot for mr meaty because i thought i i thought it would have more seasons i thought it was so great I loved Invader Zim, which mm. I don't know if people your age know about Invader Zim. I love Invader Zim. That was that's an absurd cartoon. And then uh I loved Blues Clues. Like and I and I was a grown woman. <laughs> but I just remember thinking it's just perfect. It's a perfect show. The little the little like sound cues that would happen with each oh. clue and how they would make Sorry. a song together at the end and steve's like just sweet like honest and he wasn't like hey kids how's it going he's like it was a vulnerable approach to being like can you help me like he was really like can you please help me <gasps> you will okay great it, it's not like all right guys we're gonna you know he had such a different sort of uh vibe to the way that he hosted kids tv and then i just everything felt very marketable i wanted the thinking chair i wanted the pad and again grown-ass woman but like I, I just I have all that stuff perfect. still. <laughs> I got to sit in two of the thinking chairs because there was one at the office, and then I got to um, sit in Steve Burns's thinking chair that he has like in his phone. And I was like, I'm doing it. But it's um, to me, it felt like a very perfect. Show. Oh, you know what else? I don't know. No, no, you're the age for this. Wonder Pets. Do you remember Wonder Pets? Oh my yeah. Freaking loved one. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little after me. Maybe but, a little young for you. Okay. But I will. I think. I'm not sure. It but was I think, so funny. I think they're bringing it back. <gasps> I wonder. I wonder what it's gonna look like, though. Is it gonna look like the little animal cutouts? I, I would hope so. God, um, it was so cute. It was. Uh, it was little airplane productions, which also did Little Bill and Ubi. Um, and uh, but man, they really knew how to make preschool shows. But Wonder Pets. It was so well written. It was so well written. And the music also was like this beautifully integrated part of the show. It was just perfect. It it was that like during the aughts when I was there, I felt I feel like for preschool shows, it was such a golden era. Yeah. Of, like really good educational like kids shows. Like all the noggin stuff was so great. 
Yeah, um, I think, and I think Nikki Hori getting back to that. It's you know what happened like in my at the end of my time there was High School Musical happened, and so when I was at Nick, and before Nick actually I was at Discovery Kids and and we kept like track of like the ratings because we still cared about Nielsen ratings at the time, and like Nickelodeon was untouchable. It was like. You know, Disney was always here and then Discovery Kids and all the other stuff was like down here, Animal Planet, whatever. But Nickelodeon could not be touched in in kids cable programming for a long time. And then High School Musical came. That and was it around just, 2000, hit, 2000 hit. That That sounds about right. And then suddenly it just aged everything up. Like all that stuff on Disney, like Descendants and the zombies. And it's like it's like that style of like teen teen live action and suddenly the weird you know gross lunch lady jokes and the and the animated stuff no i know? will be honest i love like lizzie mcguire like that show me oh no people love lizzie mcguire i'm we... too old for that but no but that show me like such a cool like slice of life kind of thing that i'm because it was kind of still it was kind of taking the clarissa explains it all for me like let me talk the camera and sort yeah. of Sort of the Ferris Bueller thing going on there too. It's but, true. But I was I was thinking because I saw that you worked in Nick and Nick was such a big part of my growing up. Well, especially but one of the one of the conversations that I had recently was with Mark Weiner, who oh, created cool. Weinerville, <laughs> and we talked about how he he uh you know, created that show, and then he ended up voicing characters on Dora. <laughs> and, I didn't know that! Yeah, he voices oh. the map. He voices the map on Dora. What? I and didn't sw- know that! And Swiper. Oh, so cool! I Wow, that's a fun fact. So I was I, there at the time. <laughs> I can't so believe I, I didn't know there. that. I sat there, like, <laughs> I need to know everything you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. But more... But more more about you. There's there's a lot that I want to cover here. So <laughs> when you getting to be young a little more on a deeper level, when you got the character and you you auditioned for this part, oh, there was no audition. You just got it. It. I'm sorry. I'll let me. I'll let you finish the question, and I'll give you more context. Okay. That. Did. Did you realize, was there a weight knowing that you were basically giving life to the character that could, like, change the, can't weird, but change the world and the way oh that my. we, the way that we look at representation on TV, like. Yeah, I just it got had to, chills. It had to have been there. Yeah, I was really scared. I mean, so the way that she was developed, um, the Asian American Foundation, which is like this, you know, advocacy group, they approached Sesame Street about doing an anti-Asian hate special Um, that ended up being see us coming together on HBO. And we had like a brainstorm with like production and writing and curriculum. And then I am not usually invited, you know, involved in those things as like a newer puppeteer, but like the handful of like Asian people that were involved in creative were asked to join and kind of just share our perspective. 
And at the time of that meeting, it was not decided that they would create a puppet character. Um, it, it just seemed like a very big, broad topic. When you say anti-Asian hate, that's encompassing a lot of countries um, that are a part of the Asian diaspora here in the States. Um, and so it felt like really big. Uh, Liz Hara, who is a writer at Sesame, and she's um, a writer on a lot of things now. Don she's Quixote, doing... Moon Girl. I'm so proud of her. I've never spoken to her. but she... Oh, my gosh. She is one of my dearest friends. Um, and she was the one who went back to Sesame after that meeting and said, it has to be a puppet. And there's like a whole list of reasons that she believed that like, if we're going to talk about racism, we need a, we're not going to, we're not going to do a panda bear. We're not going to have a dragon. It's going to be, it has to be a humanoid puppet with actual skin tone, not Muppet skin tone, but real skin color. Um, that is, a you know, like that in real life, uh, um, you know, if, if, if basically her, her thing was like, uh, we can we can use a puppet to teach against racism, but she has to represent an actual race. Um, and then the idea of like having her be a puppet versus animated, she kind of exists within this like three dimensional world. And then to have a, a an adult playing a kid, a perpetual kid, as opposed to bringing in a human child to have them have to deal with this heavy subject. There was just like a lot of reasons. And so Chiang was just supposed to originally exist for this this special i think i don't know if there was like huge plans for her afterwards and even then i was really scared honestly the I, so i didn't audition for it i was already a part of the sesame family as like one of the mentees and so they're like what we decided was that we we don't want her to be pan asian the way that we represent the the diversity of all Asians is to not make her all of us. She's specific, just like everybody else represents their own specific experience and culture and life. Um, she doesn't even uh, represent all Koreans or all Korean Americans. She represents herself and she happens to be Korean American and be very proud of that, you know, and that was very important to me. And so I was, you know, and as I told you, like I've been chipping away at that imposter syndrome always feeling like I don't belong. I'm going to, I'm not going to go big. I'm just going to play it safe. I don't want to ruin the take, you know? And it wasn't until Chiang that like, I found my voice of like knocking on the doors and being like, you know, making sure that my perspective was heard because I'm like, if there are no other Korean people developing this Korean character, like you were saying, it's like, we can't just plop in somebody with cerebral palsy. You know what I mean? Like, the hope is that someone who understands that experience would be behind developing that character. And so um, myself, producer Janet Kim, who's also Korean, Liz Hara, Alan Maroka, we kind of secretly call ourselves the Asian Brain Trust. And we were very forward in, in making sure that our perspectives were advocated for and making her feel authentic. And so, um, but even then, man, I was really scared. I was really scared. I was like, this is the one Asian American character. What if I do it wrong? What if everybody is judging me and they, you know, they're like, oh, she didn't do a good job. She's the one character and we all put our faith in her and she fucked it up. Excuse my language. But like, I, you know, it's, it's really scary. And it kind of shows like that first special was like the first thing we ever did with that puppet. And I watch clips from that. Now I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> I cringe because I'm like, 
I, you know, developing a new character for some people, it's just instant. Like somebody like L Leslie Carrara, she's just got a million characters that are just in her brain. Yeah, at all times. Mm -hmm. But for me, I was just like, it, it takes time. It takes like interpreting scripts and kind of building on what I know she is. I, I have the core of who she is, but I'm still kind of building on to who this little girl is. And, and it's a process for me. But yeah, there was a weight to it. And Marty asked me this. He's like, is it heavy? And I said, there is a weight, but it's not heavy. It's an honor. It's it's a it's a duty. And I, I'm I'm so proud to take this job on, you know, like it, this is not like a throwaway, like, you know, we all get to do the honker like in Hooper store or, you know, a little background monster or whatever. This is like there is a lot of weight to it. But the good news is that the support I, I had it was a shocking amount of support i figured there's a lot of asian characters in cartoons now and in kids shows like and, and in preteen stuff you know there's like um claudia kishi on like babysitters club and she made big waves and stuff like i love I that just, show that show got excellent show but that i just felt like i i i don't think anybody will really care but people really cared and like i think it's because you know, all these shows are wonderful, but Sesame Street has been an American institution for 50 plus years. And then to have like an Asian American feels like, are we finally here? Have we arrived? Are we finally being acknowledged? You know, a Muppet that what an American thing. And to have an Asian American Muppet feels like because as Asian Americans, it feels like we've always been outside even the conversation of race. It's always been about black and white or, you know, like we've kind of like we're light skinned enough that we can kind of skirt as long as we're quiet, no one will care, you know, but now we are part of the conversation and we're here, you know? And so it feels like a, a big moment. I, I am a person who doesn't like to, you know, um, I'm very insecure. I have a lot of anxiety. And so I, but, but the support of the Asian American sort of community coming around her, it helps a lot because it's clearly like appreciated and we that the Asian brain chest, um, so to speak, we like put so much of ourselves in her that it feels like it felt really good to have something that felt like a big part of myself be accepted by my own community it was incredible. Well, remember earlier I asked you if little you would be ready for the I think she might she might be a little little apprehensive but i think she have a big smile on her face no, <laughs> that's very sweet i think so i think so too i think it would have blown her mind hearing her you know talk about her grandma harmony and and just even just korean foods because those are all things that like we were sort of embarrassed about you know like our food was stinky our kids would make fun of our lunch every every asian kid has a story about this where you're just kind of like trying to hide you know, like a real part of yourself because people think it's weird. Um, and Chiang is just loud and proud about like, like, let me show you how to make this this food. You know, this is my favorite like soup that we make on New Year's or, you know. It's so amazing because I'm learning all this and sort of figuring out, you know, this. I'm learning words and I'm learning customs. It's super cool because... I'm an Italian American. <laughs> ah. It's just like, but em embracing culture is so important. It and is. Learning new cultures.
important I mean, so too. Interesting. I'm sure she appreciates that you're you're taking an interest in her her uh, culture as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. She when I told her about the conversation we're gonna have today, she's like, "I would have loved that. I would have. I would love that as a kid." Cause there again, when we were growing up, not a lot of it. Not a lot of content that was us. Mm. And we're still not there yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, it's... You know what it is? The, the, the slow turn is also because we're putting diversity in front of the screen, but it's what's even slower is changing, you know, the, the behind-the-camera <laughs> representation. And... Um, even, you know, like, even with, like, Cheung, like, I, the thing is, like, Sesame Street always knows, like, from the beginning, right, 1969, they were, like, the most researched children's show ever created, and even now, like, every single thing that we do, um, is, is researched and vetted and, like, tested with children, and, like, we bring in, like, cultural consultants and stuff, like, nothing is nothing is haphazard when it comes to things that are potentially you know personal or tricky or challenging um but even then like sometimes like things like slip through the cracks or whatever luckily there's enough people to catch it um but also it's because you know like especially with certain asian topics or whatever asian american like you know cultural things it's like there's only so much that like a vast majority of white people are going to catch you know and it's like um same thing with like you know if there's more you know, disabled people like in production behind the camera, more Asian people in director roles, and the you know. It's so interesting that you brought up that topic, because when I have these conversations, and let's say we get off the phone and we have this conversation go on our way, I'm not telling you to go into Jackie Workshop tomorrow and have them change their script. Because they're going to disable character. But if what I said during our time together can come into your head at least once, then I've done my job. Hmm. It's tough. It's tough. And the thing is, like, I understand, like, it's the same thing with, like, uh, you know, like a majority white writing team or, you know, it's like they might, there are just certain things they don't. Like, like, uh, we're all checking our, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, entitlement or like, and we all have like different varying degrees of it. Um, you know, one time not to, not to put my husband on blast, but like, um, his dad was making some, oh, he was complaining about like, uh, the, the, he went to the ER and he's fine, but he was like complaining about how crowded it was. Oh, he's white. And <laughs> he's like, uh, oh, so crowded. And, and there was just like, a, I was in the, ho- the the hallway and there was a guy just eating Chinese food with chopsticks. And I said, chopsticks, you say, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's not the first time he's like sort of made like accidentally disparaging, like, oh, can you, ugh, you know? Um, and afterwards, like, you know, my husband's like, I'm so sorry about that. I'm like, no, it's all good. I'm like, I just, it's just white, that's just like uh, white privilege, you know? 
And he's like, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, it is. Because like, it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm, you know, it's a subtle white privilege. It's like the the privilege of like growing up feeling like I and what I am is the, the base of what's normal and good. And everything else is the aberrant. It's like everything else is the other, right? And it's like when you, but it's not his fault. That, that That's just our society is like white, cis hetero male able-bodied you know that's that's the center of what is normal and what is good and everything else is weird you know yeah so the reason why we're like it's like we're shifting this like well you know what semi truck you and i you and i both like being weird so there's that <laughs> you know what don't mind it that's how, that's who what embrace, made us us gotta embrace it you um, know but that's, so, that's why we're, it's like, it's like driving the truck. And so we're turning it, but like, man, it's been like this for so long. And we're like, you know, like I just met you today and I feel like we're already Frank. <laughs> oh, Bob, I feel like we're friends too. I think you're, you know, it's funny because it's like, you have like, and you talk about stereotypes and stuff about puppeteers. There's definitely stereotypes about young men who are super fan. Can I call you a fanboy of like pop culture and things like that? um you are very you're very thoughtful and um it's easy to maybe just like especially if you're like interviewing hosting a podcast to be like okay here's where we're going here's the conversation but you're very human and and you know I think you have such a talent for connecting with people I'm so glad because it never used to be like that it it took it took work it because I was trying so hard to be somebody that I wasn't that there it is there and, it is like i said i never used to talk about my disability on this podcast and again when i started doing it the show became better because of it mm. can i ask you a dumb question <laughs> there's never a dumb question. It's, it's a dumb question you might be like oh my god kathy <laughs> how did you feel about timmy on south park oh Look, it was a choice. <laughs> Not a good choice. Not a good choice. But I feel like if it were, if it were done again, it would be better. Or mm. would it? Because you South Park. I don't know. Because I don't. They're always for the joke. But they know when they're in trouble. They know when. But yeah. <laughs> They they skirt that line. And I asked this because like we were talking about the the sad yet inspirational disabled kid. And it, you know, in the eighties, man, they love that shit. It was like, I'm sorry, am I cursing too much? I um I don't uh, care. <laughs> see, this that is how you know my, you got my guard down. That can be much, but I don't care. No, we we all we all have a potential for potty mouths. But you know, we we're talking about it's like in the eighties. There would be like the beautiful, the beautiful blind girl, and even or like even like the very special episode thing of the eighties, like <laughs> on a very special episode. Um, and so it's like at least Timmy wasn't the sad, inspirational kid with a disability. Like he, I mean, all of them were awful, and and I, he was actually not the worst character. I feel like, like they skirt, like there was this one where. Because they did some racist things. They did a lot of racist things. But they, I don't know, for me, 
Like there was this one episode where they go to China to compete in the international dodgeball yeah, competition. Yeah, yeah. But and you know what I'm about to say? The the Chinese announcers, um, they had these like, and it was obviously voiced by Trey and Matt, and like they had these like overtly stereotypical accents. Um, but I kind of found it kind of hilarious, and especially when they they put they're like, hey, do you want to hear our American accent? And they would like pop their eyes open real wide and go, I would like to use my credit card. Is this is this non-dairy creamer or whatever? <gasps> and I thought that was so funny. Like, are some people who take that in maybe not the most progressive way also going to find that funny? Yes. But for me to kind of like, like shed like a megawatt hot like spotlight on how ridiculous those like stereotypes are. I, you know, I feel like there's still like a room for irreverence sometimes, like, you know, but it's got to be done smart and it's got to be done yeah. with context. Like, you know, there was the, remember when the, the Chinese balloon got shot down, the spy balloon yeah, or yeah. whatever, there were all these racist um, memes about it being like Chinese takeout or whatever. It was like a Chinese delivery. And I'm like, that is just lazy. Yeah. And it's like. Chinese no. takeout is American. It's not even like Chinese Chinese food. And so it's like, but then like SNL did a joke where it was like, um, and it was offensive, but it was funny. They were like, oh, well, it turns out that the balloon was just a very elaborate gender re reveal, um, you know, gender reveal party. And then you see the balloon exploding and it's pink. And they're like, unfortunately for them, it's a girl. And everyone just went, ah, and it's offensive, but it was like, there was context for it. There was yeah. like, you know what I mean? And so I feel like, um, gosh, it's like such a delicate line to tread of like wanting, not wanting to offend people and obviously wanting to be fair and be representative and, you know, you know. It's so funny when I was younger and kids at my school would kind of talk about my disability, I would think everything was. A joke. What do you mean? Like, I remember somebody saying to me, you're not handicapped, you're handicapable. And I would sit there and I'd be like, that, like, I know, like, it... no, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, you don't do that. What but is then... that? What did, what? Is was that a compliment? Was that meant to be a compliment? I think they were quoting something, <laughs> and I was saying, but like my point is, as soon as I heard the word disability, I thought it were handicapped, which is a term we should not be using, hmm. because I don't know if you know that, but it originated from slavery. Handicapped? Yeah. What? Why? How? Because. These people who couldn't walk or couldn't do the thing, that was the term that the slave owner gave them, I think. Whoa, I'm going to have to look that up. Okay, good to know. Thanks for that. That's why we don't, you. I try not to use that term. Disabled, what are they? Disabled. Disabled. Not, di not differently abled. Not, they're not, they, no, there's no, there's no remix. There's just say what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Because it's like uh, to say like differently abled is to kind of, I don't know, to not acknowledge everything that you do. You know what I mean? The like things that like we take advantage of that are easier for us to do um, because the world is made for people who don't have cerebral palsy, you know? Yeah. I, it's funny. There are so many, there are so many people that say the world isn't made for us. Like the world was never made for people like us. Like, yeah, but the world was made for us to adapt. Mm. That is true. So, as we wrap up, this has been such a blast, and thank Aww. you. Yeah, thank thanks you for, for having this. me on. And but I want to know, I'm just genuinely curious. What have you learned today from this conversation? Because what have I learned because when I have. When I have these conversations, I don't intend to impact people, but I can see just by the way we're talking that you learned a great deal today, and I kind of want to know what you thought of it. Um, I learned that uh, you're a wonderful podcast host. Um, I did. I'm gonna have to look look into handicapped and why we shouldn't say that. Um, and then I don't know, it's just, uh, a reminder to, I don't know, how am I trying to say this? All of our experiences just make us who we are, good and bad, or, you know, um, and that we should just be proud of the people that we've, uh, grown to be through circumstances, through life experiences, um, and I know you don't like being called inspirational, but I, I do find you inspirational. I think you're a cool dude. It's not that I don't like it, but it's in the right kind like in the right context. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I and I, I and I I get that. But um I I think it's cool. You took passions. Um you didn't just fall into this, you you did it through hard work. You discover things about yourself. You grew. The, these are all tough things to do. Um, so I commend you on on all of that stuff. It's great. Well, but also that there needs to be more disabled people represented in, in kids TV. That's oh something my, that I haven't yes. thought about. Yeah, I feel like we I mean, we do it sometimes. It's like um, we'll have like there's always like you know. Um, uh, there's always like a few kid extras in the background, you know, on Sesame street. And there's always like, um, you know, there's always like the kid in the wheelchair and the one kid in, with down syndrome, you know, like the one um, blind kid we had a, I don't think I could talk about it. We had one episode that was completely around one kid's disability where he was like, we brought in this kid and he um, there's like an episode that'll be season 54. I mean, when I was, gr when I was growing up, there was, uh, lead in a wheelchair, Tara. Oh yeah, little girl. And I've gotten, in, I, I got to talk to her not oh. too long ago, and then we, we were like, you changed my life. Oh. <laughs> I was so, like, and she, and she surprised me for my birthday on a Zoom, and I'm like, oh. it was such a full circle moment because you're at an impressionable age, and like you see yourself, and she goes. Back, why I did it because I wanted to see myself, and 
when the call came in, I just jumped on it, and I, I just, I love that. Correct me if I'm wrong. She had, but she, it was like a dwarfism or something that she had, right? Yeah. She, yeah. She is, she's now a streamer on Twitch, and she does video games, live stream. Yeah. Oh, wow! Absolutely wonderful, and she, she was on Jake's podcast too. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! But what was uh, her name again? Tara. Tara, that's right. I do, I do remember her. Oh, she was on from she was on for like eight years. Yeah, that's amazing. She oh, that's so awesome that you got to. I'm sure she gets it a lot too. But that was such a full, and then I got to write. I was doing a Christmas special for a radio station, and it was like this scripted special where it's like. I want to do a radio show, but everybody, everybody comes over to my house for a holiday party and everybody shows up. And it's like this comedy special that we did. And she's in it as an elf. And I got to write lines for her. And it was, Aww, that's amazing. Spen- Spencer lot helped me write a bit Aww, of it. Oh, that's so great. But, I love Spencer. But on that note, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Man, uh, so I guess I'm most um, active on Instagram at K-A-F-O-D-E, Cathode. It's like a misspelling of like a cathode ray, Kathy, like, you know, the tube that's in the old TVs. And then um, I just started posting on TikTok. I don't know where this is going to go, but (laughs) you don't count. You don't count too confident. Huh? You don't I, sound too confident. I don't know what I'm doing here. I mean, I I like watching, but like I I I uh, posted like a um just like a behind the scenes of like being at the Thanksgiving Day Parade last last November, and I just kind of posted that, and then you know got some likes. I'm like, all right, maybe I'll just keep it going. So if if you're curious, uh, <laughs> you can find me on TikTok at at Happy Kim. Kathy like saltwater taffy, K-A-F-F-Y, Kim, K-I-M. Uh, and that's pretty much where to find me. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Bob. This is really great. <laughs>